listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. We follow along now with Proverbs, remembering that it's principles, not practices, correct? Promises. I knew it was a couple of P's. Principles, not promises. Keep that in mind as I share Proverbs 13, verses 4 through 23. The appetite of the lazy craves and gets nothing, while the appetite of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hate falsehood, but the wicked act shamefully and disgracefully. Righteousness guards one whose way is upright, but sin overthrows the wicked. Some pretend to be rich, yet have nothing. Others pretend to be poor, yet have great wealth. Wealth is a ransom for a person's life, but a poor person pays no attention to a rebuke. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. By insolence, the empty-headed person makes strife but wisdom is with those who take advice. Wealth hastily gotten will dwindle, but those who gather little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Those who despise a word bring destruction on themselves but those who respect a command will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life so that one may avoid the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the faithless is their ruin. The clever do all things intelligently, but the fool displays folly. A bad messenger brings trouble but a faithful envoy healing. Poverty and disgrace are for the one who ignores instruction, but one who heeds reproof is honored. A desire realized is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools suffer harm. Misfortune pursues sinners, but prosperity rewards the righteous. The good leave an inheritance to their children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to to God. Thanks for that reading, Luann. It's a lot. How is Proverbs going, you guys? Is anyone, is anyone trying to read along? Did anyone, did anyone take a stab at that kind of meditative approach to reading Proverbs that we had outlined in, in the, in the uh, bulletin last week? A couple people. How did that go for those of you who, who gave it a try? Cindy saying okay? Jan? 
You went a different direction? That's fair. That is okay. That's allowed. That's allowed. I know, Jan, we were talking before the church service. You mentioned uh, something I wanted to pass on because I've found this too. Um, it's always fun to read the Bible in different translations. The message translation, which I'm like, I, I don't usually read the message. That's not my go-to. For Proverbs, it's pretty solid. Um, if you're looking to kind of spice things up a little bit with your Proverbs reading, um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, the message is, is worth checking out. Um, for anyone who wasn't here uh, last week, we put a step-by-step -step guide in the bulletin uh, last Sunday for meditating on Proverbs. And spoiler alert, we got the same thing today. I'm just noticing the numbers got a little screwy. I don't know why it starts with step six. That should be step one. Ignore that. That's because we copied it from last week. Um, but all we did was update uh, the passage in Proverbs, the chapters that we're looking on. Um, it's a very different way to go about reading scripture, to do this kind of meditative approach, but Proverbs is perfect for it. So if you, if you tried this out last week and you enjoyed it, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, don't, don't fix what's not broken. Um, if you didn't give this a try, or if you maybe weren't here and you want to try it, you've got your chance to do it again. Um, and if you tried this, if you tried praying over Proverbs, meditating on these words, and it didn't really click, my advice is to try it for one more week at least one more week. Whenever it comes to some kind of new discipline, some new practice, some habit we're trying to build, it's always good to give it at least a few weeks, if not a month, to see how it connects, to see if there's any fruit there for you. Um, that's all I'm going to say about the going deeper in your bulletin, so you can take that with you, um, because today we are launching into a mini-series of sorts uh, within our study of Proverbs. Over the next three weeks, we are going to explore three of the biggest topics in the book of Proverbs, three of the biggest themes. We're going to talk about money, words, and sex. That's the game plan for the next three weeks. Um, and you can go to the next slide, Micah. Perfect. Money, words, and sex. Someone today was like Facebook Messenger, and I'm like, no, it's, it's words. It's okay. Um, but remember, so I don't remember last week when I said that like a topical approach to Proverbs really isn't the best way to read this book. So forget that for three weeks, because we're going we're gonna to look at this. Um, but we have to. We have to do this, because these three topics, money, words, and sex, come up over and over and over again in Proverbs. You're going to see this stuff if you read this book. Um, you saw it today. We picked this passage for today because it brings up money and wealth over and over again. So we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say about how we use our wealth, we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say, about how we use our words, and what it has to say about our relationships. And today, um, we are starting with wealth. A little known fact about the book of Proverbs, wealth is the number one topic in Proverbs. There are more references to wealth in this book than any other topic other than wisdom itself. Uh, whether we're talking about money, possessions, a bountiful harvest, riches, lack of riches, poverty, the rich, the poor, these are key words that you're going to see over and over again in the book of Proverbs, and of course they are, right? Like we've talked about this, the book of Proverbs was written to instruct God's people on building a good life. It is hard to build a good life without wealth. It's very difficult. It's hard to be happy and fulfilled and comfortable if you are struggling to find food and a place to live and have a roof over your head. It's really hard. Money might not buy happiness, but good luck living without it, right? So we got to talk about wealth. Unfortunately, though, 
a lot of what Proverbs has to say about wealth is a little cringy. <laughs> like, you might have noticed it. Uh, when wealth comes up in this book, it's usually presented as a reward for the righteous. Uh, the idea is that if you're, if you're wise, if you do the right thing, then God is going to bless you with wealth. On the flip side, if you're foolish, if you're evil, if you're lazy, then Proverbs warns us that that is the road to poverty. Um, you heard some of this in our scripture reading for today. Um, here's even more. Here are some more examples of some of this cringy stuff uh, about wealth in Proverbs. Proverbs 10.3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. The wicked earn no real gain, but those who sow righteousness get a true reward. Uh, this was from today's reading. Misfortune pursues sinners, but prosperity rewards the righteous. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but folly is the garland of fools. The appetite of the lazy craves and gets nothing, while the appetite of the diligent is richly supplied. You get the idea, right? If you do the right thing, God will reward you. If you don't, you're going to end up poor. So much damage has been done by people who've read verses like these without wisdom. Remember we talked about this last week. Um, it's a little ironic, but you need wisdom to read and apply Proverbs well. The wisdom in this book is not universal. You can't just take a line from Proverbs that you happen to agree with you know, some line that like confirms your biases and apply it to every situation. That's not how Proverbs works. We have to be really careful about this because we live in a culture that treats wealth like a virtue. 21st century capitalist American culture assumes that if you have a lot of money, you must be really smart. Or you must have worked really hard for it. You must be a really good person for God to reward you with all this wealth. And then on the flip side, our culture will often assume that if you're poor, uh, if you're struggling, if you don't have a lot of nice things, then the general assumption is you must have messed up somewhere. You must be doing something wrong. There must be something wrong with you. That's capitalism talking. That's not the book of Proverbs. Proverbs predates capitalism by about 2,500 years. We might have to take off our cultural lenses if we're going to read this book well. We might have to overcome a few of our own assumptions around wealth and money, around riches and poverty, if we're going to avoid doing damage with this book, especially when it comes to what Proverbs has to say about wealth. Uh, Luann mentioned this. Ship there, she's over there somewhere. Um, but we mentioned last week that Proverbs is filled with principles, not promises. The book of Proverbs offers this general wisdom, kind of broad guidance, that is not going to be true in every situation. There will always be exceptions, right? Uh, most of what you're going to read about wealth in this book isn't all that different from a lot of the basic stuff we try to teach our kids about money and wealth and possessions and how to manage all of it. Um, things like the value of hard work or the awareness that like all we have is a gift from God. The need to make wise decisions with our lives and with what we invest in. That's the kind of stuff we find in Proverbs. 
the idea that there's some kind of justice in the world. That if you do the right thing, it should work out. That the way of the righteous really does lead to life, just not all the time. There's always exceptions. Proverbs is not blind to the complexity around wealth and how it's distributed in society. Uh, In fact, for all the cringy stuff, all the lines like these that can be misused and abused to hurt people, we also find a lot of counterintuitive wisdom around wealth in Proverbs. Some things are going to push against the grain of our 21st century way of thinking. And it's especially true when it comes to poverty. The book of Proverbs recognizes that poverty results from systemic injustice. For all Proverbs has to say about foolishness leading to poverty, if you don't do the right thing, you're going to end up poor. We also see this recognition that poverty has a connection to injustice. There is cyclical poverty, systemic poverty, the type of poverty that you can't just grab yourself by the bootstraps and lift your way out of. Key verse on this front is Proverbs 13.23, which was the end of our reading today. The field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. That's a protest anthem right there. Like seriously, if, if like a senator or a politician quoted this line on like the floor of, of Congress, the talking heads on cable news would call them a socialist, right? The field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Proverbs recognizes systemic poverty. The fact that you can work and work and work, you can play by the rules, you can do everything right, and at the end have nothing to show for it. Injustice can come and sweep it all away. You can save your whole life. You can invest in that 401k. You can pay off the house. And if the economy decides to take a dump the year you retire, thanks for playing. Better luck next time. That can happen to any one of us, and it is even worse if you are born into poverty. It's really expensive to be poor in America. Uh, I don't know if we've noticed this or not. Um, Economists have a phenomenon they talk about called the poor tax. Uh, The poor tax refers to all the little hidden costs of being poor in the modern world, the way that like health costs tend to pile up for those in poverty, opportunity costs for those in poverty, all the little things that nickel and dime poor people that wealthy people don't have to worry about. Uh, One example that comes to mind is like heating and cooling. Just an easy example, especially especially on a day like today. Um, If you've got lots of money, you probably live in a large single home, central AC, central heating unit, good windows that keep out the cold or keep out the hot, right? It's relatively inexpensive to heat and cool your home. But if you live in a poorly insulated townhouse, the kind of house I grew up in, by the way, where we had four window AC units running 24-7 in the summer just to stay like mildly livable in there, that gets really expensive. 
If you live in a trailer, you might pay more to cool that trailer in the summer than someone else pays to cool their whole house. That's the poor tax. Uh, another example of this is uh, what economists call the boots theory. Uh, this is really interesting. So imagine, <clears throat> imagine two people who both have to pay, uh, who both have to buy work boots. One rich, one poor. The rich person buys a $200 pair of boots, nice boots, the kind of boots that'll last 10 years or more, right? Meanwhile, a person with less money is gonna have to settle for $50 boots, maybe $40 boots. They work for a little bit, then they start to wear out, they get really uncomfortable. Uh, a year in, they start leaking. Pretty soon, you've gotta buy another $50 pair of boots, and then another, and then a year or two later, another. You play this out over 10 years, the rich person is still wearing that original $200 pair of boots while the poor person has paid more money for worse boots and their feet are still wet. That's the boots theory. We kind of tracking with this? Okay, good, good. The field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Do you know the number one predictor for children in America of how much they'll earn over their lifetime is what zip code they're born in? In the United States of America today, the number one predictor of how much a kid is gonna make over the course of their life is what zip code they were born in. Uh, there was a study from Georgetown University back in 2019 showing that it's better to be born rich than to be born smart. Um, if you are rich and not that smart, you're going to be, you're going to do okay. You're going to go to good schools. You're going to get better jobs. You're going to make more connections than a person who is super talented, super intelligent, but born in the wrong zip code. Now, of course, you can mitigate that somewhat, right? This isn't like all fatalistic. If you happen to get into a good school, uh, if you happen to land a good job, plenty of individuals work their way up and escape poor neighborhoods. I did. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, I grew up in one of the most violence-ridden, um, poverty-stricken, underperforming school districts in the entire state of Pennsylvania, for what that's worth. Um, but I also had the privilege of being a relatively smart white guy with both parents at home. A lot of my friends did not have that privilege. They didn't have the doors to open for them because of that. A lot of my friends from high school are still in the old neighborhood. The field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Proverbs is aware of this. It acknowledges the existence of cycles of poverty and maybe because of that, we find our second counterintuitive wealth principle in Proverbs. Those with wealth are expected to be generous. Here are a few examples of this one. <clears throat> those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but those who are kind to the needy honor him. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. I love that one. It's so to the point. <clears throat> Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. But one who turns a blind eye will be cursed. The godly care about the rights of the poor, 
The wicked don't care at all. There's an assumption baked into Proverbs that if you're rich, if you have wealth, it is your responsibility to share that wealth with people who don't have wealth. And if you don't, God will punish you. Now, some of us might like the sound of that, right? Some of us are like, yeah, down with the rich. We, we have this other cultural bias in our culture against elitism, against the super wealthy, the 1%. Um, just this past week, Monday night at, at the council meeting, we read Mary's song from, the, from uh, the first chapter of Luke, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, says this line, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. I know a lot of us read that, and it's like, yeah, you tell them, Mary. You tell those, those wealthy people what's coming for them. Not me so much. Uh, that line scares the hell out of me, to tell you the truth. Because when Mary talks about the rich, I think she's talking about us. If you live in America with a, with a steady source of income and a roof over your head, you are rich by historical standards, by global standards. We are the 1%, you guys. Most of us have more wealth than 99% of the humans who've ever lived could have even imagined. We're rich. She's talking about us. Um, Aaron and I have a sponsor child through World Vision. Uh, she lives in India. Every month we send her $39. That pays for school, food, clothing, clean water. $39. Costs us more than that to go out for lunch, just the two of us. $39 doesn't cover like the, the Starbucks budget for, for most Americans, right? Uh, I came across a statistic a few years back. Uh, it's probably, it probably needs to be updated with inflation. Um, but as of a few years ago, you could feed all the hungry people in the world for what Americans spend every year on ice cream. Americans spend over $6 billion a year on ice cream. $6 billion. And that's, again, inflation. It's probably like $30 billion. No, it's not that bad. But like, it's, it's more than that now, right? For $6 billion, you could end world hunger like that. We are so rich. We have so much wealth. And it's our responsibility to steward that wealth well to provide for the poor. That's a consistent teaching you're going to find in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, and it's right here in Proverbs. Now, there's a number of ways as a church that we try to practice this. Um, we have our monthly communion offerings, right, where every month we do a special offering for needs outside the church. Uh, we got all the fantastic work our outreach team does to meet the needs in our community, things like the gathering table, teen closet, all these other little projects. By the way, shout out to the outreach team and the folks who are putting together this meal today, which is going to be amazing. Um, you guys rock. 
We work really closely with social workers in the school district. They know that if there's a family in need, we're one of the first churches they can reach out to for help. Uh, And one of the biggest ways that we help folks in need locally is our Helping Hands Fund as a church. Uh, Those of you who have been around for a while are going to be really familiar with the Helping Hands Fund. For some of us, it's a little newer. Um, This month's communion offering is for Helping Hands. Helping Hands is an account we set up where all the money goes to meet needs in our community. So like if someone shows up to the church needing help with rent, we go to Helping Hands. Uh, If there's like a car problem or someone needs money for gas, that comes out of Helping Hands. Uh, Just this past week, we were able to help someone whose oven is on the fritz. Uh, We're already getting people reaching out to the church asking for help buying Christmas presents for their kids. If this is something that you want to contribute to, grab one of these little envelopes, write Helping Hands on it, put your gift in there, and drop it in one of the joy boxes before you leave today. That's one way to contribute to the Helping Hands Fund. These are some of the ways our church helps those in need, but I'll tell you the truth, we could be doing a lot more. There was a time, uh, it was before I was here, uh, but there was a time when our church gave 10% of our offerings away to like other ministries, a true tithe. 10% used to come out. Um, We gave 10% of all the money that we brought in through weekly offerings to our denomination to help with mission efforts and poverty relief around the world. 10%. Um, Finances being what they are, we've scaled that back over the years so that today our church gives 2% of our offerings away to help with missions and poverty relief around the world. Uh, You can actually see that. So we have a stewardship update we put in the bulletin every week. That line there, mission giving fiscal year to date, $4,100. Which is pretty good. But what if we did more? At council this past Monday, uh, we were talking about stewardship And I threw out a challenge to the council of what if we were to try to get back to 10%? What if as a church we committed, and again, there hasn't been a vote on this or anything. I'm just like throwing it out there. (laughs) But what if as a church we committed to adding 1% to that each year? This year we give 2%. Next fiscal year we could do 3. The year after that, 4. Toward missions and poverty relief that our denomination is working with partners around the world to do. It wouldn't take that long to get 10%, you guys. The only thing stopping us from doing that is the fear that we won't have enough. That's it. It's hard to talk about wealth and our responsibility to steward that wealth in these times when we don't feel that wealthy. But I think as a church, and all of us on an individual level, we could take a look at our finances and consider what we could be doing to help people in need. Maybe it's as simple as giving to helping hands. Maybe there is someone that you know personally who has a need right now that you can like reach out and help meet that need. Uh, maybe we need to do an inventory of our spending habits and see what we need to shift, what we need to move around to bring our finances more in line with our values. Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but one who turns a blind eye will be cursed. Proverbs 28, 27, and I hope it scares you as much as it scares me, (laughs) you guys. 
One more counterintuitive uh, bit of wealth wisdom from Proverbs. This will be a quick one, but this is important. Wisdom is more valuable than wealth. For all Proverbs has to say about the wise being rewarded with wealth and the foolish being punished, uh, it also becomes really clear that wisdom and wealth are not interchangeable. They are not always a packaged deal. And one is way more valuable than the other. How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a great feast filled with conflict. Better to be poor and honest than rich and crooked. Guys, I love this book. For all the cringy stuff in Proverbs, it sounds like it was like written by Adam Smith or whatever, there is plenty of counterintuitive wisdom in this book. Proverbs acknowledges the reality of systemic poverty. It compels those with wealth to provide for those without, and it acknowledges that wisdom is greater than wealth. They don't always come together. So many people have been ruined by the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of more. So many uh, marriages destroyed, reputations destroyed, other people destroyed because we want more stuff. So many of us will work and work. We build up, we hoard, only to see it drift away in a heartbeat. But what if we put that kind of energy, that kind of spirit and intention into pursuing wisdom? Happier those who find wisdom and those who get understanding. For her income is better than silver and her revenue better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Wisdom is a tree of life for those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. Chase after wisdom, you guys. Be kind to the poor. Honor God with whatever you have by stewarding it well. Live by the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, and you are going to build up a fortune of insight that no bank account can rival. Let's pray. God, help us to hear your counterintuitive message to us from the book of Proverbs. Help us to overcome our biases, to read around our assumptions, so that we may glean the timeless wisdom of this book. Soften our hearts toward the poor, Make us generous, and Lord, make us wise. We ask for all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter at BrockportFB and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. 
Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.